Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with Detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to author and illustrator Liz Climo. Liz is well known for her work as a character artist on The Simpsons, as well as her Instagram and website, The Little World of Liz, where she posts comics featuring a variety of cuddly and cute animals. Her illustrations have even garnered the attention of Chrissy Teigen, who has said, and I quote, Liz Climo's adorable comics make me happy daily. Follow her until the asteroid comes to take us all. So we discussed her latest picture book called Your Dad, A Little Book for Fathers. Much like her earlier book, Your Mom, her first picture book for adults, Your Dad spotlights Liz's signature cartoon style with a full cast of witty, lovable animal characters. And this time, Liz expands on the meaning of fatherhood to include many different examples of paternal love and quote-unquote dad energy. Liz was a delight to have on the show. We talk about her early career, work on The Simpsons, her books, growing up, and what advice she has for parents who have aspiring artists in their household. So definitely check it out. Before we get to the episode, I want to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on Nostalgia Overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. Now, if this is your first time at the Detox Podcast, welcome. We hope you enjoy your stay, and we look forward to welcoming you back each and every week. If you are a repeat listener, thank you so much for coming back. We hope, again, you are ready to kick back, relax, check out for 45, 50, 60 minutes, and just get an opportunity to detox from the world around you. So now, uh, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast. It really helps out independent podcasts like us. So without further ado, my conversation with Liz is right up after this. What's going on? My name is Joe Shaw, and I host the music podcast After the Encore. After the Encore is a long-form, career retrospective podcast that takes you behind the music of some of your favorite artists. Musicians like John Oates of Holland Oates, Chris Kirkpatrick of NSYNC, and Jarrett Reddick of Bowling for Soup, and many others. Each season of the podcast is themed around a different topic, like the boy bands of the 90s, badass women in music, or even artists that were featured on the TV show The Voice. I am committed to taking you deep inside an artist's mind to find out why they do what they do, what does music mean to them, and how do they quantify success. We tell an overarching story which will take you not only behind the music, but into the psyche of the artists themselves. After the Encore is a proud member of the Roberts Media Group podcast family. Check us out on any of your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is fantastic author and illustrator Liz Climo. Liz, how are you doing today? 
great. How are you doing? I am doing so well. And it's mainly because every time that my six-year-old will read me this book, Your Dad, it fills me up with words of affirmation, even if it's just her saying over and over and over again, Your Dad, and then my almost four-year-old parroting back, Your Dad, Your Dad, Your Dad. So yes, I am dad, and I'm here with you to talk about it. But I, I like to start this podcast uh, with a bit of a question to level set. So here at the Detox Podcast, we're committed to making a more inclusive world by asking people to detox from the world around them and get a window into how other people live their lives. So with that, Liz, what are you currently detoxing from? <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm detoxing from just being alone in my house with my family. <laughs> <laughs> as I like slowly re-enter the world, I'm I am now fully vaccinated, and so yes. I've done a couple little hangouts with other vaccinated friends, and so I guess I'm just sort of trying to get my bearings uh, and uh, you know I guess in a sense detox from just the isolation of the year and try to re-enter the world. <laughs> it's so interesting that you you talk about that because we are here you know fully vaccinated myself and it's like the the baby steps back out into the world and we're like opening the doors and just seeing like okay do we remember how to how to do this do we remember how to do this social thing and it's 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 interesting because over the course of the last year and and some change having people on the podcast and talking about detoxing from from isolation and trying to detox from um you know just the the sitting in front of a screen all day and trying to find some type of social interaction but then forging a new way forward and now it's like how can we take the goodness that we learn on how to work and live and adapt and merge it with some of the old ways we used to work and live and interact. And so I think we're in a, a unique space where we're figuring out maybe some of a new hybrid way of living and doing and being for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I, I found that. So I had a, a couple um, back to back, like, you know, hung out with a couple of friends who were vaccinated and then a couple of family members and it was like I needed a few days afterwards to just sort of like sort of decompress a bit. Um, and I am a person who struggles a bit with boundaries. And so I feel like this year has taught me sort of like a lot about myself in general, but I feel like I've gotten better with just like laying those boundaries down. So I kind of am, am better at now being like, I had a great time, but I need a week before I can see anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> That's very validating to say because I, I echo that. I think when I think back about the normal day to day of hustle and bustle and like just going to and from work and then also adding in like social get togethers or weekend trips or anything else involving the kids, it I don't quite understand how we didn't have burnout. Well, well, perhaps we had burnout and we just kind of <laughs> papered over it and yes. kept going, right? But to your point, the boundaries has been huge. I feel comfortable saying no to mm -hmm. to situations and to requests that I used to feel obligated to say, well, yes, I think I have to go for whatever reason. For Absolutely. Sure. And I feel like just putting into practice, say no, because I got really good at saying no to things that I felt were unsafe. I, mm -hmm. I mean, there was no choice. I didn't have any wiggle room because I already knew what I felt was safe. And if something did not feel safe to me, I had to say no, and I didn't have a choice about it. So now it's like, I've, 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 I've created that sort of muscle memory. And so now all it takes is something that I just don't feel comfortable doing, or I don't honestly feel like leaving the house that night. And I say, Hey, I know this word. No, thank you. No, I can't. I can't do it. Not tonight. Right. <laughs> 
Right. I like it. Um, well, I'm excited to talk about your work, your book specifically, your dad. And uh, I want to start with some of your early days. So what was it like for you uh, growing up? I have an aspiring artist in my house as well. So I want to know what were some of the early days like for you as you started developing your love for this craft? Well, I was very fortunate in the sense that I was very supported by my family. I've always loved to draw ever since I was little. Um, I had a grandmother who was a children's book author and her sister was an illustrator. Her mother was an illustrator. I come from a long line of female authors and artists. And so I was lucky in the sense that I was just, you know, a six-year-old who was like, hey, I can do this. And a lot of my other friends were like, your parents going to let you do this? <laughs> That's not a job. <laughs> but, uh, but it, you know, sure enough, I, I just kept working at it. I, um, I loved drawing from the time I can hold a pencil. I just love to draw. I like to take, uh, my mom would give me like blank notebooks and I would create stories within the notebooks. And so um, I'd say that the challenge came as I got older and I've always drawn very cartoony. That's just always the way I've, I've loved to draw. And as I got older, there were, you know, classmates or friends who were really, really good at painting beautiful portraits or rendering beautiful illustrations that looked like photorealistic. And I just never was that great at that. So um, I began to get a little self-conscious or insecure as I got older, um, but I kept working at it and I kept I kept doing what I loved. Um, And then eventually I went to San Jose State and I started working towards an illustration and animation uh, major. Unfortunately, I did not get into the program. And so uh, like around the same time I got rejected, I had a family friend who worked on The Simpsons and he was like, the Simpsons are hiring. (laughs) And I was like, well, I don't think that the San Jose State, I don't think if they're going to reject me, the Simpsons are going to hire me. But lo and behold, (laughs) I took the the layout test and applied for the job. And um, I was I was very lucky because they um, needed artists and I was willing to work hard and I could draw just well enough to get my foot in the door. So uh, that was, uh, when I was about 20, actually it was my 23rd birthday that I moved to Los Angeles from Northern California to start on the Simpsons. Um, and then as I worked on the Simpsons, I kind of just kept doing my, my comics that I loved to do when I was little, I started to kind of do them again on the side a bit and, um, eventually started posting them to Tumblr and started getting a response from people who seemed to like the comics I was doing. And so, uh, so that was sort of the way it all unfolded and, Eventually I had to make the decision to either pursue, you know, I had already had a, a book, I think a book or two come out while I was still on the Simpsons, but um, it began to become just too much work to do both. And so I had to sort of make the choice, like either keep working on the books or, or, you know, keep working on the Simpsons. And so I ended up choosing the books and leaving the Simpsons a few years ago. So that is my life story in about five minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, know. I, was, I was going to say, how long, so you talked about your 23rd birthday and then you just left a couple years ago. So full time spent on the Simpsons. How many years was that for you? I think, so let me think. I think it was 14 years I was on the Simpsons. Okay. Wow. So it was a while. Yeah. yeah. And it's in so the, it's I, what, 30, 30 something, oh 30. So I'm 33 and I'll be 34 <laughs> later. And I remember the Simpsons are, I believe, older than me, if I recall yes, correctly. Because, yes, because, y- yes, or, actually, or, I'm, I'm so, co- I was so confident for a second there. And I'm, I know, and I was like, wait a minute, maybe it was, I can't remember if it was 89, because if it was 89, then I was just a couple, you know, it's, it's not, not a podcast about trying to figure out Simpsons trivia. That's, I'm sure it is out let, there, but. Let's spend the hour just doing the math. I right. Think that was- <laughs> 
that would be great. So if you want to hear this episode, fast forward to no. Um, and so, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think I think it might have been eighty nine if I remember correctly. And that first season was, I believe, in like black, not black and white. It was, um, but it was drawn very differently than. Um, I oh, had yeah. season two on DVD because that was when it first started getting familiar to the Simpsons that I remembered watching. Um, well, sorry. I, I had a moment yeah. where I'm like, I wonder where that DVD is. Anyways. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so 14 years on The Simpsons, that's a, that's a huge chunk of time working on a similar style, developing that craft, and then making that decision to, to part ways and go with the book. So I'm, I'm interested in, in the aspect of, um, I don't want to say this, but the, I guess I think about it in any way of when someone's leaving a job to pursue kind of their own career path. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's typically the idea of the stability of um, the company you're working for, the pay, the guarantee pay, the benefits, all that stuff, as opposed to something that you're kind of carving out on your own. So I'm curious how that thought process factored into your decision to pursue uh, the book path, which you've been wildly successful in. So it was clearly a great choice. But I'm curious about some of those early decisions as you were as you were making that that choice. It was a really hard choice because I, you know, The Simpsons, I didn't, I don't think I even mentioned this, but that The Simpsons was my dream job. I was a huge oh, fan. I, I am actually, I'm turning 40 this summer. So I was like, I grew up with Bart. Like we were, yep. I think we we're technically the same age. Yeah. Um, and so it was my dream job. It was my favorite show. And the reason I, I think was able to get the job is that I had spent so much time in front of the TV, drawing the characters, mm. like kind of getting a sense of how the acting worked and how, cause it's very different from other animated shows. It's sure. a sitcom. So yep. the acting is very subtle and that's what I was doing. I was drawing the acting. So it was a really tough choice because of that. And, um, and like you said, just the stability of a job and, you know, health insurance and a weekly paycheck and all the stuff that you don't necessarily get from um, being a freelance author and illustrator. Uh, but it, the, the choice was actually sort of made for me in a way because I, so I had actually taken a few years off when I was pregnant. I I went on maternity leave when I was pregnant with my daughter, who's now seven. And I uh, took a few years off, um, and was just working from home and they kind of let me continue my maternity leave and let me sort of just kind of like keep working from home because it was working out. And then eventually they sort of were like, you know, we actually want you to come back in. Um, and I, at that point I was like, well, I've been at home for a few years. Um, I, I, I have my daughter, she's in preschool, but she's not in a full-time preschool. And it just like, we have it all worked out where I'm able to get as much work done at home as I was in the office, but also be home with my daughter. And so they sort of made the choice for me where I was like, well, maybe this is, you know, the world telling me it's time to move on. Cause I'm also trying to get these book deadlines done. Right. And it was just, it was just a lot. It was a lot at once. And so um, but being able to, you know, say, you say to myself, well, I, I, I'm, I, I have a good feeling about where this is going with the books. And I think, I think I can make it work. And that way I get to stay home and keep working from home. So again, it was a very, I was very lucky in a lot of ways to be, even be able to make that choice. But uh, that was, you know, sort of where, where I landed. It was like, well, I, I think it's time to move on. Plus yeah. I, you know, I was, I was doing what's called character layout, which is animating, uh, animating key poses. Mm. Uh, which was really fun, but there wasn't as much, I, I wasn't writing and I actually, uh, I really enjoy writing. And so I sort of, when it came to my like creative endeavors, the books were much more, uh, I was able to sort of like do more of my own work and write my own jokes and right. sort of the net, the next natural step, I guess. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I it's, 
that helps kind of put it all into context for sure. Because you think about, oh, you're working on The Simpsons, like that you're set for life and that's fantastic. But talking about like, well, yeah, and it was amazing and it brought such joy. And it's great. However, as you're starting to want to do more and kind of get ready for the next chapter, no pun intended, of your life, you know, <laughs> in the year. And and it's helpful to understand the context of doing the ca- character layouts versus writing, scripting, and illustrating all together. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's very different. And I think it's, it's using different parts of our creative minds for sure. Now, so the creative the character poses, you talked about just, just writing out just the different, um, or character layouts, excuse me, the different poses of of the characters. I, I remember um, somebody had shared this with me. I have not fact-checked this, so I could be completely incorrect. <laughs> but someone shared with me that they loved Hanna-Barbera. Car- it was my friend, uh, Tyler, who's an artist as well. And he said he grew up watching Hanna-Barbera cartoons, and he was so fascinated because he said that, that they were some of the first ones that would do the stock... Um, uh, poses and then reuse a lot of the same uh-huh. uh, drawings and animations and just rescript it um, depending on what it was and so they were able to get a lot more episodes out um, and keep costs under budget and he thought that was like wildly fascinating so I just that made that story about the layouts made me think of that um, and draw <laughs> and draw the comparison so I, I but but I say all of that bringing it back around to say I totally understand the the desire and the want to kind of forge your own path with the books and and bring that out. So the first book that you you wrote, you've got quite a bit here. So uh, which was the first one that you had written and, and put out into the world post Simpsons? So the first, so I had already been doing uh, posting, com- drawing and posting comics. Right, right. And so uh, I had at that point, like, a certain number, I can't, I don't know exactly the number, but I had quite a few comics that I had drawn and posted online and drawn and posted online. Sure. And so the first, I think there were, if I remember correctly, cause it's been almost 10 years now since my first book, but there were two kind of at once where I had this collection of comics that uh, a publisher was interested in, in making into a compilation, into a book, but the work was already sort of done. I just had to sort of like, you know, do a couple little things here and there. So that was the first, that was a little world of Liz Climo. And that was my first comic compilation. And then at the same time, I met my agent, Kathleen Ortiz. She actually was a, just someone who followed my blog and she reached out to me and was like, hey, you want to do a children's book? And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> please. Yeah. Um, and so she actually, you know, she asked if I had anything written or any ideas and I said, for a children's book. And I said, no, but, uh, you know, let's see what I can come up with. And so I actually wrote a uh, one sort of one book that I never really, it never really went anywhere because I had these two characters, Rory the Dinosaur and his dad, which appeared in my comics a lot. And that was sort of, I had this other book I was writing, but I kept kind of going back to these two characters who had no backstory. It was just one comic that I had done of them. And, uh, but that was sort of like, we, we kind of kept going back to that and we're like, let's, let's try and do something with that. So I just sort of wrote a story about them um, based on just the, this, this comic that I had already created about them. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was, those were the first two it was the little world of Liz Climo. And the first children's book was Rory the dinosaur, me and my dad. That's, and so. <laughs> that's awesome. And so were you able to get a, um, um, well, obviously you had written several comics, so there was definitely a following and an appetite for more of this type of content for sure. But um, I guess what were the initial uh, um reactions that you had once it went on sale and people started purchasing and and consuming uh this work how was that um what was your reaction to that it was it was sort of a mix of i mean 
honestly, my, my first sort of taste of other people like consuming my work was really posting it because I was able to actually like see people's reactions like like, in real time. Yeah. In real time. And, and I learned my lesson that way. So now I don't really like, I don't really go on like, um, what's the, what's the website? Uh, Goodreads. Like I don't read my review because I'm just like, (laughs) it's like, you know, it's like, if someone has a valid concern about anything I've done, that's one thing. But if it's like, I just don't like this. It's like, well, I don't need to put myself through that again. (laughs) But that was, I mean, that was my first, my initial reaction was like, oh, wow. Some people really just don't like my work. And um, I don't really feel that anymore. I don't really worry about that so much anymore. As much as I worry about uh, making someone, doing something that makes someone feel um, like they weren't included uh, or, you know, that that's much more my concern now. If someone just doesn't like my work, that's fine. That's okay. Right. Well, not well, everyone's gonna. It's not, I know. Fine, it's okay. I'm not even right. mad about it. <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> you're but such. My, you're a nicer person than me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. You know, it's like I've been doing it a while now, and it's it's just I'm honestly okay with it. It's it's more that I'm. Uh, I'm more concerned with just you know making a mistake and just upsetting someone for a valid reason. I guess. Sure. But going back to what you asked, it was more uh, terror. I was terrified of mm. of ha- of being so vulnerable and putting my work out there because. I really went from being too nervous to even draw my own work. I don't know if I really explained this, but after having worked on The Simpsons for so many years and, um, you know, I mentioned I was sort of insecure about how I drew when I was younger. Sure. But at, this, at that point, I was I was working professionally as an animator. I hadn't gotten into this college. I really felt like I was sort of I had a major imposter syndrome, like I somehow got my foot in the door, but I didn't belong. And then I was meeting all these incredible artists who I felt did belong. And so I didn't want them to see how I actually drew. I I mean, I I had learned how to draw the Simpsons well enough, but I was embarrassed by how I drew for fun in my own time. Um, And so once I sort of got past that and decided to just kind of push through it and and post the comics online and, you know, draw how I felt and draw what made me happy, then I felt really worried that, you know, uh, people would actually see it. And so I went from that point to like publishing a book within uh, like a, maybe a year or two. And so I was, I was very raw and just like, Oh no, I'm so, I'm so embarrassed and nervous, but you get past all that. It's, you know, you do, you know, that's a valid point you bring up about the imposter syndrome, because that, that is something that I've learned that um, I still get surprised when people who I perceive to be more successful at something than me are like, Oh yeah, I feel like I don't belong here and go, Oh wait, yeah. We all are sitting around here thinking oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. And the people who don't probably should be is my perception. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's just my personal perception. But I do feel like it. It has made me feel a lot better, and I think I've discovered it even more while we've all been at home and all been like having these types of Zoom conversations. Um, but being able to discover and realize, like, oh, we are all kind of feeling the same thing. I don't know why we're putting on airs about it. Now I don't have to spend energy in the spaces that I used to. And I'm kind of reclaiming some of that goodness back. Absolutely. Um, I I feel like this, the feeling I used to get when I would see my work and honestly, even sometimes now I'll, I'll, I'm, you know, I will see something I've drawn and be kind of like, ooh, like it's the same feeling you get when you maybe look in the mirror and don't like what you see. It's like, it's really just a reflection of yourself. And and you just, and for me, it was sort of a growing moment where I was like, well, this is who you are. Like, you're not, you know, you're not the painter. You're not the, you're not the, you don't do beautiful animation. You don't do this and that, but that's okay. This is who you are. This is what you do well. 
And, you know, you learn to kind of embrace that. And, and I feel like I have, and I'm trying to get better at it. So <laughs> I like it. Well, that's yeah. a good opportunity to talk about today's sponsor of the show, which is Snuffy because Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. So shop online now at snuffy.co that's snuffy S N U F F Y dot C O. And the owner and operator of Snuffy is Nick Silvestri, good friend of the podcast who designed the detox podcast logos. So if you like it, you like Snuffy, go check it out, snuffy.co. Okay. So I want to dig into your mom, but not your mom, your mom, and <laughs> yeah. talk about, right? So, there we go. got to be careful. I... <laughs> That was my, I mean, that was my fault. I, 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 I pretty much like built an idea of a book on a, on a joke that a 12 year old would make. <laughs> so, you my, know, I'm the one that started this. It's okay. My, my, you know, my daughter is, is, is learning like were and where and mm-hmm. we're and there and there and there and you and your and your. And so it's so funny because this book is just like, she's like your dad. And I'm like, right, but your you dad, are right? <laughs> you are dead and it's like oh so but yeah so what was the the motivation for you you talk about a little bit in the intro for your dad but walk me through your motivation to create your mom first sure so because I did I did write that book first um I <laughs> the it was really just initially it was just the title like I I always have my favorite ideas as I'm falling asleep, the ones that I always like the best are the ones like right as I'm falling asleep, I have an idea and then I write it down in my phone. I have like a notes app in my phone and I'll write my ideas down. So that was honestly, it was, wouldn't it be funny if it was like, a? and I didn't even know what I wanted the book to be. I just thought like, oh, you're mom, but then you are mom. And so I just kind of wrote it down and then left it. And then I think the next day I kind of wrote uh, like a quick, just sort of summary of what I thought I wanted it to be. And I sent it to my agent and she was like, I love it. Let's, let's, let's work on this. And so I actually like took it to a coffee shop one morning and just wrote the entire thing in about an hour. And it just kind of poured out of me. And I think the re and, and more, I mean, nothing that's never happened to me before. I'm not like a, I, I've never, I've always struggled more with the writing, the joke telling and the, and the drawing is fun. And I, I feel like that comes more naturally to me, but the writing and like, story building that's always been a little harder so wrote it all out I think it's been sort of like in me this for years and years because I lost I lost my mom when I was Mm. uh young I was 20 about 21 and um so this book was kind of my response to you know being a child losing a parent young and then becoming a mother and so and I am a mother and so right around the time I wrote the book I had a young child Uh, my daughter was like I think probably like three years old and so it was very natural and um, if you if you read the book you'll see it's like from kind of from the time that your child is young until they're older and then losing a parent and it kind of covers all the bases and hopefully like a a sweet way Um, and so that one was very easy and then I, I I think when I I think I sold them. I think both books were like, it was like a package deal. So I knew I was going to do a Your Dad when mm-hmm. I wrote Your Mom. Um, and so when I sat down to write Your Dad, I was like, oh no, what? A, I already did like a parent book. Like what, right. what is the, what I've, I've painted myself into some weird gendered corner where I'm yeah. saying like dads and moms. I had kind of panicked. I was like, I don't really even know. Like, what, <laughs> what am I going to do about this? Right. And then as I was writing, I was thinking like, well, I mean, like how I've already sort of written this book about parenting. So how am I going to write like, 
I feel like I have to now write like how dads are different from moms and I get myself into a lot of stereotypes. And what about families who don't have dads? What about families who, oh. you know, have two moms oh, yeah. or, you know, someone who doesn't identify as a male or female, like it's just, right. there's a lot to consider. And so I decided I took a deep breath and I was like, well, I'm going to sort of consider all the people in my life who are dads or in a dad, like a quote unquote dad role and sort of write this book for them, whether or not, you know, they do even like, if they don't even identify as like male, like it's like, it, I just wanted to write it sort of just like a, a companion piece to the first book is sort yep. of like a, your parent, I guess. Um, again, it's like, yes. you know, I, I, I sort of wrote it in a way for my dad and my husband, but also again, for all those, all those people as well in my life. So the, I, I have to say the intro alone, like made me tear up for sure. Oh. <laughs> because I mean, because I mean, I knew about you and I knew about the book and I was excited for the book, but I also was like, are we doing a little like moms and dads and we're leaving out population like you were talking about? And yes. then the the intro, you know, the, I don't want to read all of it, but I do like the last paragraph you had, I want to read that portion and go like the idea of the traditional family, the quote unquote traditional family is evolving and it's a wonderful thing. Whether you're a beer drinking, football watching dad or a fingernail painting, donut baking dad or both. A fun uncle, a dear friend to someone with kids you adore, or even if you're not a dad at all in the traditional sense, if you are a parent or someone in a parental role, your love and attention means everything to the people who look up to you. Because when you're dad, no matter what that looks like, you are so loved. And I, like, that is so validating. I'm, like, starting to, like, get teary-eyed again. But, like, (laughs) it's so validating to... Um, you know, people who do identify as male and do identify um, in those kind of traditional, well, I don't identify in the like most masculine, like beer guzzling football type uh-huh. dad, but, but in the, you know, identify as male and are a dad and proud dad, as well as those who identify differently or maybe identify as non-binary, but are in a parental role, they are still mm-hmm. able to take uh, value out of the book and see themselves reflected back at them, which is, I think, the goal is Absolutely. to provide the space, right? I, I really appreciate you saying that because yeah, that was that was certainly my goal, and uh, that was that was um, that's always the hope. I always try to, you know, um, it just I don't know. It's weird. It's like I feel like I learned a lot as I was writing this book, and I also we're in a really like we're growing a lot. Like a lot's happening right now, and we're learning yes. so much. And um, you know, I'm a I'm a cis woman, and I'm just I'm trying to like I, I want I have a lot to learn and. I, I want to just like hopefully uh, continue to do that and <laughs> be willing right. to make mistakes and just like I just yeah I want everyone to feel like hey this I, I was thinking of you when I was writing this yes this, I see you <laughs> right exactly and I appreciate you yeah right exactly and as a cisgender man I you know am also working uh, extremely hard to ensure that my kids grow up in a world where they can understand and appreciate all people that they encounter for exactly who they are and how they identify and respect them exactly who they are and how they identify and then also be able to learn more and teach me and teach the world around them. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, this is the cycle that we're trying to do. And I think it can be so discouraging at times when where we, the two of us and our families are learning and growing and um, becoming more and more educated and doing more and more good, it, it can become disheartening at times when it seems to be that there's some portion of the population that is seeking to undermine some of that goodness. And it, it is, it is honestly, even, you know, it is in little moments here and there, whether it's reading a book 
I'm holding up your book with, <laughs> with a kiddo at bedtime or having a good conversation like this that reminds me we are still going, doing good work. We are still making a difference. We are still tr- like pushing forward and making the world a better place. And I think that's what we have to anchor to, especially in those moments when it be- can become a little discouraging at times. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, I think people, um, I don't know, I think people have, there's so much ego. And I think people just like, when they get embarrassed, they sort of double down. It's like, well, I'm not this, or I didn't Mm. mean this. And it's like, you just have to be okay with growing (laughs) and and making those mistakes and like, you know, being open to growing. I I really think that's an important thing. And again, that's actually something I also learned a lot when I was writing this book, because I am someone who's always afraid of making mistakes or saying the wrong thing. And, you know, I'm, that's, that's as long as you're, I think, committed to the growth and like acceptance of, of just the world around you, then I think you're, you've taken the right step. Exactly. My favorite quote that I, I recite daily is from the great Maya Angelou of you do the best you can with what you know, but when you know better, do better. And that allows me to accept the feedback and the education as I get it, not be defensive, appreciate it, say thank you, and incorporate it immediately because we can't, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but when you do know, let's incorporate it and move uh, forward. That's <laughs> let's, beautiful. Let's, yeah, Let's, no, let's not go backwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know for folks who are so let's do a little bit more discussion about the book in that. So it is not, it is releasing, let me get the date. It is releasing uh, in July? No. Oh no, it's out. It this is out. out. It's out. Yeah, that's it's, right. it just came out. That's right. Just, so it yeah. came out on May 4th. That's right. Yes. I was reading it as July 4th. I mean, Independence Day. No, that's a very, <laughs> very, very different thing that's happening on July 4th. So it is out. <laughs> Folks can get it. Where? So if they want to get it and they want to support their local independent bookstore, what is? do you have a favored vendor that you would like to recommend that they go purchase from? Or what's the best way for them to obtain a copy of all of your books, but also specifically of your dad, a little book for so, fathers? So you were right on. I always encourage people to go to their favorite indie bookstore. It should be at most. It, it should, you should be able to find it at your local, your favorite local. Um, I believe it's bookshop.org. Hopefully I'm not getting that wrong. I think bookshop.org is uh, like a website where you can actually like type in the, a title and it will direct you to, um, to an independent bookstore where you can get this book. And um, another, if you're doing uh, international shipping, uh, what's it? what is the name book depository is, is a good, like a good source for uh, international. But again, I think you can find it at most. I always just try to, to chop as many local places as I can. I try to hit up, you know, I'll buy one book here, one book there. Um, but I guess the short answer is, and it's, it, it should be available everywhere. So perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. If folks are listening and they have, um, if their kids are looking to get more involved in, in artistry and they are showing signs of wanting to be an illustrator, um, and they're wanting to pursue that path a little bit more seriously with schooling or professional or what have you. Is there some pieces, some good pieces of advice you would want to advise those parents for their children? I'd say encourage them, let them know they're supported and that you like, you know, show them that you like what they're doing and um, if follow their lead. So if they are the sort of kid who likes to paint or, you know, likes to do cartoony drawings um, no matter what, just sort of encourage them with the stuff that they love. It's always good to do that with kids. And uh, I'd say as they get a bit older or if they're getting more serious about, uh, for instance, like animating or illustrating, life drawing is the way to go. Whether you're, I mean, I started back 
when it, we were all just pencil on paper, but I realize there's a lot of computer animation and right. computer illustrated now. Um, life drawing is, is the foundation of all art, whether you do an abstract or, you know, realistic work. Uh, take your kid to the zoo, bring them a pen and a paper, a pencil and a paper and sit and draw animals with them. Draw, like learn, if you can learn how to turn and move an object in space, and if you can learn how to draw from life, then you can kind of take that foundation and, and kind of go from there. So I say that as someone who went in sort of a non-traditional path. I didn't, you know, again, didn't graduate college, but it worked for me. Like just drawing what I loved has worked, has worked out for me. And, um, and then practice, practice, practice. You have to just, you know, even, even if, if uh, you know, you're real good and it's like, Oh, I've mastered this. There's no master. And you just keep going, you keep drawing, you right. keep getting better. So right. yeah. I, think that is fantastic advice. So we are going to move on to the next part of the show, which is called Things to Check Out. So it's a segment where I will provide a recommendation of some something I'm reading, something I'm listening to, and I ask my guests to do the same. So I will go oh. first, model that behavior. So what am I currently, who am I reading, who am I listening to? So I just finished Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson. Fantastic book, highly recommended. And then I am uh, currently reading Father Figure, um, How to Be a Feminist Dad by Jordan Shapiro. So he has been a guest on the show and will be back on the show to discuss this very book. But he is fantastic. Highly recommend if you're looking for how to be a more involved parent, a more progressive parent, you're trying to just... Um, to your point at the beginning of the book, let's redefine what some of these roles mean as we're learning and growing and evolving. Definitely pick up Father Figure by Jordan Shapiro. So what am I listening to? Um, well, I am a sucker for a good uh, sports podcast that also blends the 90s. So I'm currently listening to American Prodigy uh, Season 2, which details the story of Ken Griffey Jr. and the Seattle Mariners. So Ken Griffey Jr., I don't think there's anybody alive that grew up in the 90s that was not aware of Ken Griffey Jr., but but um, you don't really hear about him too much nowadays. So it's an interesting retrospective look at his career and his life. So definitely check that out. So Liz, who are you reading and who are you listening to? Can I do a who am I watching and who am I listening to? Absolutely. <laughs> and we're and I'm, I, I feel a little uncomfortable talking about a podcast on a podcast. Oh, it's I, okay. I, okay. <laughs> um, so let's see. I have, um, I really like the podcast You're Wrong About. I don't know if you've heard You're oh, Wrong yes, About. Yes, 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 yes. Sarah Marshall and Michael Hobbs. Uh, it's great. It's a very... Uh, they kind of discuss, um, it's like revisionist history sort of thing where you remember something one way, but you learn, oh, actually, you know, like, uh, maybe this person wasn't the demon that we created her, him or her, they to be. Right. <laughs> um, it's a very empathetic and a very informational podcast. I really enjoy it. Um, I have started, I haven't finished, but I started watching City of Ghosts on Netflix. Oh. I don't know if you've seen that. I have um, not. It's it's beautiful. Um, it's really interesting, I think, as someone who lives in Los Angeles, but I really think it's something that everyone can enjoy, um, young or old. And it's a, it's sort of um, a look at sort of different pe people from, it, it, I always tell people, well, I just recently started pe telling people, because I just recently started watching this, but uh, when I say I'm from Los Angeles, and there, there's kind of like a bit of a cringe, it's like, see, watch City of Ghosts. And uh, what is that? There's, the, there's a documentary about Jonathan Gold. Um, who was a food critic in Los Angeles, those two pieces of, of, of media, that's the Los Angeles that I know and love. <laughs> so I think it's actually, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's- I think it's called, it's called City of Gold. City of Gold. So yes. City of Gold, City of Gold. <laughs> easy to remember. <laughs> easy um, to remember. But I am someone who, you know, grew up in Northern California and was basically like conditioned to hate Los Angeles. <laughs> and now that I've lived here for almost as long as I've lived there, I realize that there's a lot of beauty 
um, a lot of different kinds of people, a lot of different cultures. And um, it, it's, it's nice to consume sort of that part of Los Angeles because where I live and where I exist is, is so far from the, the glitz and glamor of Hollywood. It's a very different sort of lifestyle. But so, uh, so yeah, I guess I, I, I can recommend both of those. Uh, those are both really, really, really great watches and um, very different, but similar, I guess, in a way. Very cool. Well, we are going to move on to the final part of the show. So it is the dad joke of the week. So it's a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guest in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans. But I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guests. So it works out for me. But I do like to put my guest on the spot. Liz, do you have any jokes that you would like to offer up today? Okay. I think I have one. Okay. Oh, I have to tell it now? <laughs> yes. Yes. I let, you know, I gave you the way out on the last one, but I, on the joke, I purposefully make the guest go first. Okay. Uh What's a pirate's favorite letter? R? No, it's the C he loves. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, Liz, what do you call a factory that just makes okay products? What? A satisfactory. <laughs> satisfactory. All right. uh, you don't have it's, it's, uh, these are the kind of jokes I happen to like, so you don't have to worry about me not laughing perfect, at them. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, my, <laughs> I think my favorite time I've had someone on here, uh, Tracy, uh, Tracy, who hosts the podcast, The Stacks, which is a virtual book club, which is fantastic. Folks should go listen to it. She was on, and I did the jo jokes, and she said, fair warning, I don't like humor of any kind. And I go, that's great. This will be extra grown worthy. And I, after every joke, she just went, yep, that that's a joke. That is a joke. So <laughs> confirmed. That is that is a yes. That I see what, your effort. <laughs> it was good. So I appreciate having someone that will laugh at the jokes. Oh yeah, Trace is great. I'm good for that. <laughs> Trace is great. Um, what did the janitor say when they jumped out of the closet? What supplies? <laughs> oh, I actually knew that one. I totally. I lost. It was the memory was gone. It was, right, right. <laughs> so uh, funny. Funny uh, even when you. Know <laughs> All right, last one, last one. Have you heard about the chocolate record player? It's pretty no. sweet. <laughs> it sounds pretty sweet. Oh, I butchered butchered the punchline. It sounds pretty sweet because it's a record player. And All right, well, Liz, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? So I am on Instagram at Liz Climo, and I am on Twitter at E-L-C-L-I-M-O because Liz Climo was taken already. <laughs> I'm also on Facebook. I'm most active on Instagram. I mostly am sort of a fly on the wall on Twitter, a terrified fly, a trembling fly on the wall, just kind of I occasionally posting comics. I hear you. Um, <laughs> so I'm not super vocal there, but uh, but yeah, Instagram is the biggest, uh, the biggest place. I try to post there um, a couple times a week. And um, I also have a website, thelittleworldofliz.com. And so, uh, yeah, that, those are the main places. I guess you could try. I do have a TikTok. I was going to say, I think you do. I, <laughs> I have one which has four videos because I am also terrified to dip my toes into the water there. I did one last October for LGBTQ Plus History Month and then a, nice. a couple more. And so uh, I saw you were on TikTok, so I followed you. Um, I'm oh. at the Joe Shaw because that wasn't taken and I was feeling egotistical that day, I suppose. Awesome. But yeah. <laughs> I, I sort of, I saw, um, you know, people who are active on TikTok. I love TikTok. I love watching the videos. Like, yes, I, watching. Watching the videos, but I'm not, you know, it's just, I, I understand 
I don't understand, but I, I enjoy the funny videos, but I do not, I'm not going to attempt to try and be like a TikTok person, not because I'm like, oh, I'm too old or like, oh, I don't want to. I, I seriously don't know how to be that funny in that way. I appreciate <laughs> everyone else who can do it. I can't do it. So I sort of decided to join just to sort of hold space because I saw a lot of other people were posting my comics, which is fine. Um, and it's actually really nice to get the exposure, but I was like, I should probably like kind of just like put a foot in the door. So sure. you're like, I'm here. <laughs> so right, right. I post occasionally there, but um, I'm mostly there for the vi- just to watch other people's videos. So. <laughs> I have deleted more videos than I could care to admit of just like, I think this will be funny. And watching back going, no, this is not delete. Just delete, 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 delete. Um, that- it is brilliant. And people, I mean, some of the stuff, it's oh, just, yeah. it's so fun. I love it. I think it's great. I it love it. Seems- <laughs> I was gonna say it seems pretty wholesome, but I maybe I'm just in the right the the right spot. The right <laughs> algorithms, yes. Yeah, yes. maybe. <laughs> I watched the. the car- I just mean like fun. Is yes, I don't know. <laughs> yes. I watched the the dueling like karaoke's back and forth, like where oh. they trade the lyrics. That's my favorite thing to do is to watch that. And I have several musician friends. I send it to them. I'm like, can you do this so I can watch you do it because it <laughs> looks fun? They're like, stop, like stop, just stop sending those to me. So. <laughs> But I digress. Liz, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm super, super excited that you were able to come on the show. And I look forward to having you on again in the future. Thank you so much. It was so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. You're welcome. Well, listeners, you've been detoxing with Detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. Yes. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast, or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds, and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.